Well, good morning. Please take your seats. It's lovely to see you all. My name's uh, Malcolm Duncan. I have the privilege of leading the church here at Dundonald Elam. And I'm grateful to you for taking the time today to be with us. I don't take it for granted at all. I'd like you to uh, turn briefly with me to two portions of the Bible. The first is found in the very beginning of the story of God's purposes in the world and how he made us in uh, Genesis chapter one. And the second is all the way into the New Testament in the second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians in chapter five. I'll give you a chance to find both passages just for a moment. The first is Genesis chapter one. I'm going to read from verse 26. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Now turn to that second reading I asked you to find, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. We're going to read from verse 16 to the end of the chapter. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. God always blesses the public reading of his inspired and his infallible word. I love dedications. I could do one every week. I just think it's so exciting to hold a little baby in your arms and to present her or him to God, to thank God for their life and to pray that he will be at the center of all that they are and all that they do for the rest of their lives. But what gives a life worth? What makes Oliver special? What gives us significance or value? I'd like to reflect on that for a few moments with you today. When any of the royal family find out that they're having a baby, the whole world goes mad. There's a baby on the way, there's a royal baby on the way. When Meghan Markle, what's her name now? The Duchess of 
Sussex, she's a duchess of somewhere. When she, was, when she announced that she was going to have a baby, everybody rejoiced, everybody was excited. It's interesting, isn't it, that that little child is never referred to at any point as the royal fetus. Never heard anybody write an article about the royal embryo, have you? How come that is a baby? But someone at the same stage in gestation can be carrying a non-baby. Have you ever thought about that? This week I was horrified to read that in New York they have um, approved a third trimester termination process which means that right up until birth, a child can be terminated. And I was thinking about the dedication today. This wonderful little boy, brilliant name. My mum was called Olivia. My sister has a middle name of Olivia. I wanted to call one of our daughters Olivia. Wasn't allowed, but let's not have that conversation. <laughs> Oliver is such a good name. Isn't it, Ollie? And I thought to myself, what gives this little boy worth? What gives that little beautiful girl behind you getting winded now worth? Is it because we want them? That can't be right. It can't be right that there's an arbitrary wantedness that determines the worth of a human being. Surely that can't be right. What gives a human being worth? Value. What gives you worth or you value? Because if it is the wantedness that somebody close to you has, then what do you do when they don't want you anymore? When you go through divorce, when you have a split in a relationship, when everything goes wrong, does that mean that you're then worthless? Well, of course, that's how many people feel, isn't it? because they're brought up in a culture where their worth and their value is determined by what somebody else says about them. Some point in the next couple of years, maybe this year at some point, I'm gonna preach a series on the worth of a human being. And I'm going to explore why it is that I find it deeply troubling, deeply painful, that when the New York Senate decided to pass that bill, that in itself was difficult enough, but that they all cheered. That there was a round of applause and whooping like they had won the lottery is more troubling. What is it about a human being that gives them worth beyond the arbitrary determination that you make or I make? I'm not preaching about abortion this morning. I'm talking about the worth of a human being. And it strikes me that that worth, wherever it comes from, is really important and really matters, that you get this right in your head because it will shape how you parent if you have the joy of parenting. It will shape how you conduct a married life if you have the privilege of being married. It will shape how you live your single life if you have the privilege and calling of singleness. It'll shape what you do if you're living with a child or with a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister who has additional or different needs to most people. What about children with autism? What's their worth? What's their value? Somebody that lives with Down syndrome, somebody that lives with constant epilepsy and terrible fit, somebody who's not able to walk but does so through the aid of a chair, who determines their worth? Who determines their value? What about the person that you mourn today? Why were they worth something to you? What determines that value is such an important question. Yesterday, across this province, 
10 and 11 year olds got the result of an exam. Many of them feel worthless today because they didn't get enough. Spoke to a man this week, 62 years of age. And he spoke to me about failing the 11 plus. And tears welled up in his eyes. And he said, I remember the day I got the result and I still feel worthless because of it. Does educational attainment determine your value? Does the family you're born into determine your value? Does the way other people treat you determine your value? I'd like to say that the answer to all of those is no, but of course, in reality, the answer to many of those questions in an experienced way is yes. Doesn't mean it's right, but it is the reality. There are hundreds of kids today that feel less worth something than they did yesterday because they got a bit of paper through the door that gave them a mark that wasn't what they wanted. Again, I'm not trying to make a political statement, but how can that be right? And how can it be right that because a child is in a royal womb, that child is a child, and because it's not in a royal womb, that child isn't? I think the Bible has a clear answer to what determines the worth of a human being. What determines your worth and my worth, our value, our significance. And it isn't complicated and it isn't, doesn't take long to explain. And some of you think, thank God for that. Is that man actually going to preach a short sermon? Didn't say that. Don't get your hopes up too quickly. And it's found in the verse that we read this morning in the book of Genesis. The worth of a human being is determined by the fact that every single one is made in the image of God. Doesn't matter whether you can see or not see, you can walk or not walk, doesn't matter whether you think differently, doesn't matter whether you're black or white, it doesn't matter whether you're um, Irish or British, it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, it doesn't matter whether you live with disability or not, it doesn't matter whether you are gay or straight, it doesn't matter whether you are married or single, it doesn't matter whether you are divorced or separated or widowed, it does not matter whether you vote unionist or nationalist. Some of this gets offensive for some of us. It doesn't matter whether you are um, a Muslim or a Christian or a Jew or a Hindu or a Sikh. It doesn't matter what school you went to. It doesn't matter what family you are from. It doesn't matter what color your hair is. It doesn't matter what your intellectual attainment is. It doesn't matter whether you ever went to university. None of that matters in terms of your value and your worth. What matters is that you are made in the image of God. And you don't get to pick and choose who is made in the image of God. And I don't get to determine they're worth something and they're not. I don't get to make that judgment. I don't get that privilege. I don't get that right. And I never get that responsibility. Every single person that Malcolm Duncan has ever met or ever will meet is worth something to God and therefore should be worth something to me. To make a decision about someone because of the preference that they have politically or because of the outlook that they have or because of their choices is to put the cart before the horse. Doesn't matter, it doesn't mean that I agree with every choice that people make. It doesn't mean that I affirm every perspective that other people have. It doesn't mean that I think that all political viewpoints are equal. It doesn't mean that I think nothing matters. What I mean is, before you get to that, a second base question. The first base question is, what's a human worth? Why do they matter? And they matter because they are made in the image of God. And therein lies both a wonder and a challenge. Because I guess many of us don't always feel worth that much. 
we might feel as if we are worth less because we were told that by somebody or because we've come to believe it ourselves. Because we failed one too many times, because a community that we wanted to be part of rejected us, because someone else told us that we were worthless. But God will never tell you that you're worthless. The wonder of it is to be made in the image of God couldn't possibly just be about physically looking like him. Take a look around the room. Just in this little room of 300 people or so, there are an awful lot of different faces, or as my mother would say, fizzogs. <laughs> different looks. And some of us would describe ourselves as good looking. Not many, perhaps. <laughs> and some of us wouldn't. That's, that's not what determines that you're made in the image of God. Years ago, I've told you this story before, but I think it's important to tell you again. I had the privilege of dedicating um, a little girl. Her name is Hope. And her mum is called Joy. True story. Her dad is called Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to change that name so that the illustration worked really well, but it doesn't, I'm afraid. Hope was born in 1997, same year as our daughter Anna was born. But within a few months, it became very clear that Hope was sick. And actually, she has something called Cornelia de Lange syndrome. And that means that she'll never walk and she'll never talk, and she can't see. She has hair that grows all the way down her back. She tries to bite her mum and her dad all the time. Her capacity intellectually will never really go beyond 12 to 18 months. And Andy and Joy were part of our church family, as was Hope. And they asked me to dedicate her and I can remember the day that I went to see them after they'd received the diagnosis of what was happening. And an awful lot of people were leaving the house who had been to see them, tearful and brokenhearted and sad, because it is sad. When you have a child who doesn't fit the expectations that you had for that child, before you can love the child that you have, you have to have the freedom to grieve for the child that you thought you were going to have. There's nothing wrong with that. And Andy and Joy needed time to grieve for the child that they thought they were going to have. And they'd had that. And I went in as people were leaving, all very emotional and very sad, to talk about the dedication. And Joy lifted hope. I mean... It doesn't get any more beautiful, does it? Joy <laughs> lifted hope up into my arms. She looked me straight in the eye. She said, she's got her dad's eyes, don't you think? She didn't see the disability. She didn't see all the labels. She saw her daughter. And she said, when you dedicate my little girl, would you please preach on Genesis chapter one that says that she's made in the image of God? And I said, it would be my honor. It's the only time somebody has given me a text to preach on in a dedication, by the way. <laughs> Maybe I didn't do such a good job. And I held that little girl 20 years ago, 22 years ago now, and dedicated her to God. And I remember standing in front of the congregation and saying to them, hope doesn't ask for your respect. She doesn't request it. And she doesn't beg for it. She demands it. Because she's made in the image of God. 
Every human being demands that respect simply because they're human. And if you are one of those people who doesn't always feel like you're worth that much, then without over-sentimentalizing it too much, can I suggest to you that on the day that you were born, if God had been present physically, he would have held you in his arms and said, that's my boy. That's my little one. There's no one here or watching online who is a human being whom he thinks is worthless. Our problem is that we don't always treat people like that. We're quick to decide who's more human than others because they fit with our determination. If they agree with us politically and theologically and socially and economically and culturally, then they're going to be more human. It's the people that we disagree with that we find it most hard to love and work out a way of respecting. But this morning, I want to suggest to you that you are worth not what you determine, but what God has determined because you are made in his image. And maybe life's had a bit of a batter at you. Maybe you're exhausted. Maybe there have been too many people that have said too many times that you're worthless or useless or pointless or that you failed too many times. Can I remind you today that you're worth so much to God? And that brings me to my second reading. Because there, what we read is not only that God makes us, which is beautiful in and of itself, but that God can remake us. Imagine having a bad start, getting to the middle of your life, your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 60s, whatever age you are, and thinking it's too late. I think hopelessness is one of the worst things that a human person can live with. A sense that they're stuck, that things can never change. I've met people that have felt hopeless because their marriages have failed or because their finances have failed or because somebody has said something to them and they just feel like failures, that there's no way out. But what if God has a different story for every one of us, that the the one who made us remakes us if we will ask him. That can take our mess and make it meaningful. Can take our sorrow and turn it into joy. Can take our loss and turn it into hopefulness. I've never quite understood why you would reject that invitation. Because I'm not inviting you to consider being religious. I'm inviting you to the God who loved you enough to create you and stands ready to recreate you if you ask him and give you a new identity beyond stupid or failure or wealthy or powerful or successful. Because in the end, all those identities change, I think. They come and they go. Ask somebody who's retired, who's struggling with the third season of their life, who's lived all their lives thinking, I'm a successful businesswoman. Now who am I? The business is gone. Now who am I? The problem doesn't lie in you. The problem lies in how you are defining yourself. I used to be a husband. I'm not now. I used to be a mother. I'm not now. I used to be this. I'm not now. So the only identity that doesn't change is the identity that God can give you, which is loved, forgiven, accepted, crafted and made by him. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 
the scriptures that I read to you just a few moments ago. The Apostle Paul says to a group of people who are from the wackiest, zaniest town called Corinth, um, if any person is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. In fact, in the original language of the Bible, Greek, what it says is much more pertinent and punchy than that. It says, if you are in Christ, new creation, old, gone, new, here. It's much shorter. It's like when you are in Christ, everything is made new. You're given a new chance. You're given a new life. You're given new hope. You're given a new identity. You're given a new purpose and a new meaning and a new significance. I've never quite understood why people would reject that. So this morning, think about that. What you're worth. Not what you think you're worth. But what does God think you're worth? He thinks you're worth everything. And he thinks your children are worth everything. He thinks this world is worth everything. How do I know that? Because God loved the world to such an extent that he gave his only son to die for you. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Because God sent his son into the world not to condemn it, but that the world through him might be rescued. Wouldn't it be remarkable if this morning your life was rescued? What did he pay for you? A thousand pounds? Ten thousand pounds? A hundred thousand pounds? Much more. He paid for you with the blood of his son. Now that's something I could never understand. But every Sunday morning here in Dundonald Elam Church, we take a piece of bread. It's just ordinary bread. And we drink a cup of juice. It's just ordinary juice. And we remember what we're worth. We remember what God paid for us. It was battered and scarred. And the auctioneer thought it hardly worth his while to waste his time on the old violin. But he held it up with a smile. What am I bid, good people, he cried. Who starts the bidding for me? One dollar, one dollar. Do I hear two? Two dollars. Who makes it three? Three dollars once. Three dollars twice. Going for three. But no. From the room far back, a grey-bearded man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening up its strings, he played a melody, pure and sweet, as sweet as the angel sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, what now am I bid for this old violin? As he held it aloft with its bow. One thousand? One thousand? Do I hear two? Two thousand? Who makes it three? 
3,000 once, 3,000 twice, going and gone, said he. The audience cheered, but some of them cried. We just don't understand what changed its worth. Swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a person with life out of tune, all battered and bruised with hardship, is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like that old violin. A mess of porridge, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once, he's going twice. He's going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to lift to you every person here and joining us online and those who will hear this message in weeks or months that lie ahead. And thank you for our worth. That our value is determined by you. And for those women here who go through the guilt and the pain and the sorrow of having terminated a child, come with gentleness and mercy and grace and bring forgiveness and hope and a fresh start. For those dads, those men who have gone through making that choice with someone else and feel wrecked by guilt today, bring the same things. For those whose children or siblings or parents or grandchildren are treated as less because they are different, and who have carried that weight of anger at the way culture has treated their loved ones. Bring your tenderness and your compassion. For those of us who feel less because of things that we've done or said or things said or done to us, Remind us of our worth to you today. And as we come to this table, help us to remember how much you love us and to receive strength and grace to carry on and help us to see the dignity in people in front of us, their worth and their value irrespective of anything else because they are human. Thank you that on the night that your son was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and gave thanks and said that that bread was a symbol of his body that was broken for us. And we thank you that after the meal, he took the wine in a cup and he drank from it and said that the cup signified his blood that was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. And thank you that you invited all who were present to drink it. 
So for a moment today, we remember Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and for those that we love. And some of us come asking for the gift of faith for the first time, turning from our mistakes and our sorrows and our heartbreaks and asking you to make us new, give us new life through Jesus. Others have known you for many years and we come needing your grace and strength to keep going and to keep believing who you are. Whether we come for the first time or the umpteenth time, we come and ask you to meet with us in Jesus' name. Amen.
that you are our Savior, and you never leave us. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together as we sing the last verse of this song and give thanks to God for his great goodness. Saints began to open, saints began to rise, the power of sin forever slain. One looked like a defeat would change our destiny, would change our destiny. building knowing that our guilt and our shame has been carried by Jesus Christ.